I invite you to join me in a, a word of prayer. Dear Lord, I pray that you will be by me, through me, and if need be, despite me, so that the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts, as they're measured, they are found acceptable in your sight, because you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So I hate to break it to you, but winter is coming. And uh, as I think of winter and I think of this, this Sunday, I think of playing King of the Mountain. I don't know if anybody ever did this, but we get a lot of snow where I'm from. And uh, we, we'd, we'd find ways to play with these large piles of snow. And, and some of those ways were the kids would all scramble to the top. And you'd push and shove your way to try to be the one at the top. And everybody else would fall down the sides and look up at you and say, I'm the King of the Mountain. Well, I think that that's kind of what we're looking at a little bit here, is the people that try to get to that one spot up top of this mountain and look down and fearful of who might come to push them out of the way. We look at, at the pressures that these Judean leaders were facing. I mean, they were just about ready to enter one of these really important times for the temple year here in Jerusalem. A, t- a multitude of Jewish faithful would be traveling here to Jerusalem because it's the Passover festival. I mean, in terms of pure economics, for the city, this was a huge time. Pilgrims were required to spend a tenth of their income within the city. That's not including the tithe that they had to make to the temple. And just a little bit ago here in the gospel story, we remember hearing that Jesus had disrupted the temple. He turned over the merchants' tables and excited the crowds. And surely they could foresee that there was a little bit more disorder to come if they didn't do something. Yet they didn't just want to stop him. By this point, they wanted to make him an example. And to do that, they needed the Roman authority. You see, at this time, our historian Josephus reminds us that that the politics, the Roman control, was the one in power here. They were the only ones that had the sole rights to sentence people to death. And so the governor, Pilate, His job was exactly that, keep order and ensure taxes came in. And so we look at Pilate. Here in his mansion, he he was governor for 10 years. He started in 26 and he went to 36 CE. But during that 10 years that he reigned, 32 riots happened. 32. That's That's a lot. The Judeans hated this taxation. And, you know, they hated the insensitivity of the Roman authority. I mean, Pilate was no saint. He brutally killed a lot of people. And so when Jesus comes before him, there's a choice he has to make. The festival is at hand, and he knows that the Jewish priests are coming in here scared. They come in there very vigilant to avoid any defilement of even walking into his place because they have this Passover festival in mind. And yet, Pilate doesn't really see an opportunity for him to display a clear opposition to Rome through Jesus. He tries to figure out what Jesus' motive is. Are you trying to be a king? Overthrow Roman occupation? Jesus doesn't really take the bait, does he? Jesus, he might be a, a religious fanatic to Pilate's eyes, but he doesn't really seem to be a violent opposition. I mean, last night when he was captured... There was hardly even a fight. One of his people, Simon Peter, he cut off that soldier, Micaiah's ear, but then Jesus stopped him and just went without a fight. New England that we're in here, 
I mean, we have our own issues, don't we, with this whole kingship issue. I mean, much of the identity of Boston, I've found, is tied up in this rejection of of the monarchy system. We have Jonathan Mayhew, who coined the the term, no taxation without representation. That was right here in Boston, downtown, Old West Church. We want to say that we have our own fates and actions, and we're not getting told how to live, what to invest in, what to do. Kingship, you know, it was the norm until this democratic system came. And I guess in some ways it could be argued that we still have a ways to go before we're truly democratic. I mean, if you look at it, the 10% are still the ones who are on the seat of power over the 90%. I mean, not since Truman have we even had a president who's worth less than a million dollars. And now that we have Jeb Bush in the running, we have the potential for three Bushes. I mean, a, a pre, primogenitor, really. Millions of dollars, billions even, are spent by these candidates, by corporations, to convince us that the political leaders have our interests in mind. While at the same time, we we see how disconnected they truly are from American reality. The corporations that are the example of our free market society, they're giving their CEO billions of dollars, then giving their employees maybe minimum wage, if not just firing them. I mean, our country imprisons more people than any other nation. We have unjust policies that are targeting the minorities and the poor. We have people starving on our streets, lost in the darkness. And you might ask, well, this is Thanksgiving. Where's our hope? And I think we have that here. We look at this Hebrew Bible text, and we see a little different version of what a king could be. These are the last words of King David that we heard. One ruling over humanity with righteousness. One ruling with the fear of God is like the light of morning, the sun rising on a cloudless morning, gleaming with rain on a grassy land. And Amos also there, he's talking about how justice, it rolls down like waters, righteousness like a perennial stream. We are called to be better than we are, and yet we remember the words of Samuel that we don't want a king. Yet the Judeans, they demanded, they wanted to be like everybody else. And so we turn to this gospel lesson, right, from John. We see that Jesus is telling Pilate that his kingdom's not of this world. It's not like the one that the Roman authorities are in. On the surface level, people have tried to justify that, well, the kingdom that he's talking about is for when we die. This world doesn't matter. That Gnostic view, it sees the world and our bodies, it's a prison. But I think they're missing the point. Because if we look at the other Gospels, we can see in Luke and in Matthew how Jesus, when he's reading in his hometown synagogue, he's reading from that book of Isaiah, and he declares the kingdom of God is at hand. It's being echoed in as he's telling it and is continuing. The kingdom of God is not just the kingdom that will be, but instead it's this reconstruction towards Eden that is. The world is not without hope. God certainly did not abandon us. The Holy Spirit, this season of Pentecost that we're ending, it's something that we celebrate. God is still active in this world, in each of us. God doesn't need us, but Jesus the divine actually came down 
experienced suffering so that we could have hope. And so we talk Christ the King Sunday. Again, it's, it's this end of Pentecost, and we're looking. Next Sunday, Advent is going to start. We're getting ready for Christmas. And yet, we understand that behind us, Jesus on the cross. And in the near future, that Jesus in the manger, they're the same. The Holy Spirit, that's what continues, this Christ in our midst, through us, the body of believers. And we take this time in Advent to remember the redeeming power of Christ and the Spirit that's amongst us always. So as we encounter these people who are struggling around the world to find their place in this mixed-up society, we can find our peace, our comfort, in knowing that we already have citizenship in God's kingdom. We're not ranked by any arbitrary means, but we're all precious. It's not a select few that are given the special seats at the table, but instead a table that's big enough for all of us. The harvest that's being here is big enough for all of us, and the rains that fall, they fall on us all equally. The kingdom to come, the kingdom that's in our midst, it's Jesus that made this covenant with us, the covenant of redemption. That's why we remember this time of year, We journey with the cross behind us and the self-emptying Christ child in the near future, we understand that the Holy Spirit is offering us this liminal capacity to overcome our construction of time. It's showing us that things are cyclical, ever-renewing. This action-orienting power of God is amongst us. And so we recognize that this grace that we are allowed because of the cross We respond with that grace by sharing grace with others. As the rain falls and fills our cups, as they're overflowing, we know that we can share that same mercy with others. We acknowledge Jesus as Lord by participating in his kingdom, in his servant ministry. And so I I think of St. Ignatius of Leola. He's the founder of the Jesuit order, and if you go down the street a little bit to Boston College, you'll see that the chapel there bears his name. He said this, God freely created us so that we might know, love, and serve him in this life and be happy with him forever. God's purpose in creating us is to draw forth from us a response of love and service here on earth so that we may attain our goal of everlasting happiness with him in heaven. All the things in the world are gifts of God, created for us to be the means by which we can come to know him better, love him more surely, serve him more faithfully. As a result, we ought to appreciate and use these gifts of God insofar as they help us towards our goal of loving service and union with God. Insofar as any created things hinder our progress towards our goal, we ought to let them go. The kingdom of God It's not about lording our powers over others, standing at the top of the mountain, trying to earn our favor with God. Instead, it's about knowing that the church is the body of Christ in the world. And as we encounter devastating events around the world, and we feel lost, and we just got to remember that the church can still proclaim 
We can still show that God is active in our midst in the world. The church is called to listen to the Holy Spirit in our midst, open wide our doors and shed the love of God into the world. We recognize that we are all ministers and we're all empowered with gifts from God to work in his kingdom. This kingdom that we proclaim is the one in which the refugee is welcomed. The homeless are fed, the lost are given a home, and everybody is recognized as valuable. So as we travel towards Thanksgiving, I call you to remember and give thanks for all that God's given us, but also to recognize how we can be a source of thanksgiving for those in our midst. We can't change the world by ourselves, but we can make a difference when we can and pray for God's help when we feel overwhelmed. The truth of the gospel is in your midst, and I hope that when you hear it and understand how God is trying actively to be here, to bring the kingdom down, you can start to learn how to, how to smile a little bit and sing a little about the rain that is in our midst. And, and I think I, I remember the song from Singing in the Rain. It kind of fits, really. Singing in the rain, just singing in the rain. What a glorious feeling, I'm happy again. I'm laughing at the clouds, so dark up above. I've got the sun in my heart, and I'm singing. Amen. <laughs>